Fest preview series 2018 and today I'm talking about the film A Young Man with High Potential with Linus De Pauli. Hello Linus. Hello. Hey Stuart. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure and uh, I'm very grateful to have you on because obviously I was useless earlier this week and <laughs> uh, you, you've, uh, you were very kind kind enough to persist with me and appear on the podcast. So I'm very grateful. Well, I'm happy to be with you, Good finally. Man. Good man. Well, look, before we go into any detail, do you want to give the listener a brief synopsis as to what a young man with high potential is all about? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's the story of Pete, who's um, a very intelligent but sexually completely inexperienced uh, computer science student. And he falls in love with a new student, um, the bright and beautiful Clara, um, but well, when, when she finally turns him down and he's deeply hurt and um, he takes a dose of sleep medication um, and when he gets up from that uh, sleep, he um, that, that marks the beginning of a night um, which is uh, which in which he will lose his innocence in more than one way. I kind of stumbled through that a little bit. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you did very well there without uh, without without revealing too much. And okay. uh, this is going to be the UK premiere of your movie, yeah? Yes, it is. Indeed. Well, congratulations on that front, and congratulations for getting in Fright Fest. Thank you, yeah. I, maybe I should say the, the world premiere was in Munich, um, at, in the, at the International Film Festival in Munich, and we've already shown the film in Switzerland, international premiere uh, at the Neuchâtel uh, Film Festival, which was also great. So I'm really curious about the London audience. Indeed, yeah, there are a bunch of weirdos in London, trust me. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you, you co-wrote and you, um, you directed this movie. Um, right. So, I guess, I guess if, we start, if we start with what was the, the kernel of the idea that, that, that began to sort of develop into what became a young man with high potential? Mm, well, if I'm, if I'm being brutally honest, um, it's... It's about people I know and myself, or I'm maybe inspired by. It's not about about them, but um, you know, all the characters are inspired by by real life observations of, of um, my friends and I, and kind of we we. I, I thought our behavior and our wants and needs in in, in this world right now um, are interesting and and different than they used to be, or what I've um, you know seen in films and literature and whatever through the through the century. Mm. Um, I kind of think it's a film or the story. Um, addresses um, certain fantasies of um, what do you call it, almightiness um, in a way. Um, but I also, I wouldn't call it an analysis, but maybe like a, um, or maybe I would, maybe it's a structural analysis in a way. So I guess this is what I start, it started off. And I always had this idea of having um, having a kind of, in a way, impotent protagonist, like a, a weak man, yeah. um, who becomes stronger 
through the process of the film, you know, like, but actually by losing his innocence, by not necessarily becoming a better person. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, 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 there's definitely a, a moral element to, to the journey that Pete goes on. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what the word amoral actually means uh, because I, I would say it's, Anti-moral, or is it is it different? Amoral, amoral. To me, amoral. Me, I mean, moral would be the moral of the tale is, you know, blah blah blah. But there's no moral of the tale. You know, you you you. We don't want to spoil anything. But the way that mm. you the way that you the way you end your film, yeah. is, is to suggest that the world might be a bit broke. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you know, no, you're right. Okay, in, in this way, I, I would say amoral is probably the right the I right word. I, I mean, because... exploit. I mean, it's not suggested films an exploitation movie, but in exploitation cinema, that quite and, and certainly bigger exploitation films. So, for example, uh, in the seventies, you had uh, Michael Winner's Death Wish, mm-hmm. and in that film, that presupposes that if your if your wife gets attacked. Yeah, you've got the right to go and kill anybody. Yeah, to kill everybody. Yeah. Well, and not even, it's not even like the revenge. It's not even like you've got the right to kill who did it. You've just got the right to kill anyone that looks like they might have done it. Now, while and and and, and, that, and that in itself is amoral. But what's most amoral about that film, if you I don't know if you want you remember the film, but is when the policeman, knowing full well he's responsible for multiple deaths, yeah, and lets him go, but knows these deaths are of criminals who would have caused him trouble. Says, yeah. Look, don't just don't cook, just don't stay in my city, and you're fine. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah. so that's the lesson we've learned. <laughs> is... kind of did... It's cool. I didn't expect to talk about Death Wish, but it's, it's, <laughs> no, no, it's... but it's, it's the first one I could think of that's got an amoral ending. Um, yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, but I mean, there's a lot of films in the '80s. They were made in a kind of um, unthoughtful way, or I don't know that that end on a weird note that kind of gives uh, the protagonist the right to kind of do anything it's 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 true i mean when you think when you think about it, a lot of even even high high budget uh, sylvester stallone films or yeah. whatever have this have this feeling of yeah he can he can do whatever you know whatever it takes he can uh, shoot i mean this is not at all what no no <laughs> what i not, think we're, we're, we're what, my, what my film is about but um but i mean from from the air moral um point i think the film at least it it, it leaves you alone with the moral question this is what i wanted i want to basically give it back to the audience like the film is not going to provide um an idea of what is right or wrong um you have to do that yourself you have to um you have to you know judge for yourself if you can still like the character um or if you um if you judge him or if you would prefer for him to get locked away or not um but i'm not going to provide that i'm not going to give you the ending that um will satisfy the need to you know like um get closure with the picture you know like, and ah, it's fine. In, in, in a sense of developing it as an idea though was 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 it always about that um d- d- yeah d- about that, that obliqueness in terms of i'm not going to give the audience necessarily what they want or what they need from the end of this story was that always something you had in mind yeah absolutely i mean this was part of the of the first idea it was like um somebody who's growing up in this time and age um you know who's socially isolated and sexually frustrated or unexperienced at least um who commits a crime and who will get away with it because he is uh, intelligent enough. Mm. I mean, this this I can tell without spoiling too much mm. of the film, I guess. And I, I, yeah, this was always what I wanted to tell. Yeah. And what what for you was the um, the biggest challenge in terms of storytelling in in making that work for you? What what, what about this story 
was most problematic and what did you do to over to achieve to get mm. around it i think it's um the way you approach the main character because he carries the whole thing and um we had um before we met our lead actor adam Idroveda, uh yeah. from from denmark before we we had him we casted um uh, a belgium actor that i really liked uh and he was interested he liked the script and but he said i cannot do it if he's not a psychopath um and uh, you know because he said like what he does is not I can't justify it before myself. Uh, so the only way I could imagine slipping into that character is if I imagine him as a psychopath. And I said, like, yeah, but you're on the wrong track because I think um, if the film is, has to, if the film wants to be relevant in any way, he cannot be a psychopath. He must mm. be uh, a character that you're able to embrace, even if he does uh, horrible, horrible things. Um, don't consider him that. And he had such a big problem with that, that he left the production three months before we started the shoot and we had to find somebody else. <laughs> but, um, really? you know, that's really interesting. So, so, yeah. so even though, even though he'd read the script, mm. he, he thought there was still wriggle room in the character's performance. Right, to right, be, exactly. To be sort of like the the kind of crazy off the handle person, as opposed to, in a, in, right. a, in a funny way, you could argue that Pete is is the is a great pragmatist, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That 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 basically describes his morale um, perfectly, mm. because I don't think his. I mean, I mean, his morale at the beginning of the story in the film is very high. He actually even um, preaches uh, in a way to her, uh, mm. to the to the um, female uh, lead character, um, saying a wrongdoing is a wrongdoing, uh, even if you have the guarantee to get away with it. So he has a high high moral standards actually. Um, but yeah, out of pragmatism, because I think this is his survival mode, um, mm. he betrays all that. I mean, now, now I'm giving away a lot, but... Um, no, no, that, that's, I think that's ambiguous enough. I don't think... It's, and it's interesting then, so so if we if we stay away from where the film, in terms of in terms of um, what, what begins to make it interesting is when, when the crime's committed, then what happens after mm. that is where this, this pragmatism, you've, this pragma, pragmatist you've created sort mm. of comes into his own. So if we, start, if we start in the first half of the story, as it were, what you do to to uh, wrong foot the audience i think is you give us somebody who we feel empathy towards we have mm. him we have him hiding in the shadows in the corridors at school because yeah. he can't run he can't just run to class with the crowd because that that freaks him out or uh, when clara first approaches him to be a study partner mm. he he just he never leaves his apartment he just he doesn't need anybody he he can his pay, it's clear from what we hear about the feedback on his work that he's a brilliant student and everybody likes what he does. So why does he need a study partner? It's better for him to sort of stay in his, in his ivory tower and just keep mm -hmm. working and have food delivered. And in fact, and then, and then the chink in his armour, I suppose, in terms of, all right, here's a loner, he's isolated, but he's coping, is then when you see his only intimate relationship is with a webcam girl. That's right. And so, yeah. and again, I don't think that makes us dislike him in any way. I think that that only adds to the sympathy and empathy we've began to form. It's like you know, oh poor lad, eh? if only he can just get, <laughs> if, if only he can just get the confidence up. Yeah, it's this is the way I see him. I mean, when I said I have to embrace um, the character, I don't even want to run for the audience or something. I that's this is the way I authentically feel about the character. I think he is capable and maybe even genius in many ways because you can hear him talking to his professor and mm. he gets a lot of compliments from him and you see like oh there's a lot of potential in this guy hence the title mm. um and um 
but he's um, so socially awkward and um, <laughs> that I, yeah, I, 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 li I like him. I, I think I even admire him in a, in a way for mm -hmm. his, you know, for, for the way he, he, um, he, he puts things and the way he also tries to put some, you know, they, they are writing a paper together on um, an informatic subject, but he, you know, he tries to get some um, some morale in there as well because I think he is he sees the world in a complex way, and so um, and also he has a lot of humor that comes out when they um, smoke pot together. You can see actually he's a funny guy. You know, he's he's, he's uh, once he opens up, he can even be a bit a bit charming. And I this is this is what I've um, seen often when I look at friends of mine. Um, that are a bit shy or close in or socially awkward or whatever. Well, it, it takes a little time, but actually these, um, uh, you know, describing these characters or this character and in, in this specific uh, case as a likable person is not, I'm not fooling anybody with that. This is mm. what I mean, you know, it, that's the way it is. But that does not mean that he's not able of, like, capable of doing something monstrous. Because I also think, My, maybe, you know, if in, in, in the right situation, I myself would be able to do something monstrous that now I cannot even imagine doing. Mm. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look, none of, none of us, none of us have been a bit, uh, not, sorry, not none of us, not many, not many people, you know, it's, it's definitely a very slight minority that yeah. end up being faced with the absolute moral dilemma that, yeah. that if they do nothing, then they're in absolute deep shit. And if they yeah. do something, They're worse than the shit, yeah. <laughs> but but it could be it could be a way out of the deep shit. You know, it's like it, it, yeah. that kind of do a bad thing or do a worse thing. Yeah, is, yeah. is is a brilliant dilemma, and obviously dramatically, that's where your film sort of grows in tension. In the sense of there are definitely you know if you think every character in every drama has got two choices at any one point, and there's the easy choice and there's the hard choice, and obviously drama always works when they pick the hard choice knowing full well what the easy choice is, because the easy choice is pick the phone up and go, I'm really sorry something bad's happened, mm, mm, <laughs> and, face, yeah, yeah. and face the consequences. But you have that beautiful moment where that thought, and, it, and I think as well, you've, 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 done, you've done something really clever in the sense that you show that thought process through the character we already understand, because he's going on the internet and he's looking up what prison sentences are. And suddenly, yes. you're, like, and suddenly you're like, my God, he's actually percolating yeah. possibilities, which is just what he did. When he yeah, was a yeah. study partner of Clara's, it's a, it's a lovely look. That's a beautiful character moment that you do. Where, Thank you. Where I'm kind of, I'm like, what? He's, he's, he's actually reasoning with his situation, which, you know, if I'm honest, if I'm in the shit, I wouldn't mind Pete being near me at the time because I think he'd, <laughs> he'd be the one like, look, let's think about it. Let's think about our options. And because that's how he studied, isn't he? And I think bringing that into, committing a crime is quite interesting because he's not whereas if you look at say the opposite of that would be have you seen jeremy saunier's blue ruin uh no i have not but i want oh, to yeah. okay so blue ruin is about somebody that spends their entire formative years waiting for someone to get out of prison because they believe they killed their parents mm, okay and when and when they get the newspaper that says they're being released they go to they go to the prison wait for them to come out and they've spent all these years wanting to take revenge for the parents And then when the moment comes to stick the knife in, mm. they realize and remember they're not psychopathic killers. Mm, mm. They're, they're just a human, a person like you and me who feels angry their parents are dead. You know, you would feel it's unjust. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But there's a difference between feeling unjust 
and killing somebody for the unjust that's happened. <laughs> and, that's well, yeah. the, and that film, is, whereas whereas you, you, yours is yours is your, your your character is kind of in in the sense of the way you've built him is, um, and I wouldn't say he's serene. Like uh, I'm sure the feet, you know, if the swan has gone along the water, then Pete's feet are kicking like mad, aren't they? In terms of trying to get through the situation. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, these, where we witness all the steps that he takes. I mean, we are we're basically crossing all the lines in morale and taste that he has to cross uh, with him. So, yeah, I'm mean, little, little to add. Yeah, little to add to that, actually. One of the things that struck me is, I mean, we were talking before we started about sort of broader terms, and I, I did um, I did a paper back in 2008 on whether Britain could regulate the internet. Mm-hmm. And I looked at our Ofcom is our government regulator, and um, and I looked at all the possibilities as to what there was. And at the time, basically the the, the message was, don't re- nobody wants you to regulate the internet because we don't understand what the internet can do yet. And if we, mm-hmm. if we regulate it too hard too soon, we stifle innovation. You know, great trick be, being played by the. Uh, by the libertarians out there, mm, um, mm, that, mm. That, that if you regulate us, we will, we will, we will wither and die, and you won't have an internet. You know, complete, yeah, 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 yeah. completely forgetting that the internet was invented by government money for the U.S. military, and they didn't, they didn't have a use for it, and then academics found a use. Um, but anyway, um, interesting. <laughs> but, but, but I think that what, but what that was it's a roundabout way for me to say that you, you've actually sort of moving ten years on from when I'm writing that paper, the nightmare that I was seeing in terms of an unregulated internet is is a is a peopleless 24 7 service industry the internet facilitates mm-hmm. now, on the one hand that's fairly convenient if i want to get a parcel to uh to zurich tomorrow i go mm-hmm. online somebody comes to my house they take it and it's there and i don't have to worry about it yes absolutely, exactly absolutely brilliant whereas in your film that convenience and i and i'll, I'll repeat the comment it, the uh the dead kennedy's album give me convenience give me death yeah uh, that's a great title it's, I, uh, I think nice. that you've tapped into accidentally obviously if you didn't hear that you've accidentally no. tapped into what convenience really means you know it's like de- it's, it's the death of humans you know the more the more whereas your friends who come out you reveal themselves to actually be humor and good company mm-hmm. if, if, if we have people that are isolated and despairing because of their what they perceive to be their in in inadequacy in I think this is me. I'm getting some emails here. <laughs> Just uh, a second. Beeping here. Um, no, um, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I like that thought. And it's, um, I, well, uh, actually, it, it triggers different uh, thoughts with me <laughs> right now. But the um, idea that um, you, and, and you said um, in the old days, um, you know, somebody who might be, um, who, who was a, a loner in a bar, Mm. You know, drunk, drunk Joe or something yeah. could be uh, a super terrorist today because he's able to connect to all the other um, guys like him over yeah. uh, the internet and whatever. So I, I, I kind of like the idea that, or I, I don't like it. I, f- I find it a fascinating uh, observation that today you can basically reduce your comfort zone to one room because from that room, as long as it has a door 
<laughs> where, where parcels can be delivered to and you have an internet connection, you are connected with the world. And mm. this is the beginning of the story for the character. He basically doesn't like to leave his one-room apartment. Um, as you said, he orders everything he needs from food to clothes to furniture. Um, and it gets there directly in front of his door and um, that's it. He only has to open one door. That's the world. And then there's the internet. And through the internet, he even has somewhat of a functioning relationship to um, a sex chat uh, partner mm. but which is purely uh, virtual but you know it, it, it suits the purpose but i think and this is at the beginning of the film um i think um this can only go so far you know um because well you cannot really um replace personal interaction with the internet and maybe that's even the only thing that you can um, or and and personal experience in a um, foreign place or whatever, like uh, going out, you cannot uh, replace that with the internet. No, no. Um, it's the, the, there's a great argument. I mean, it's to do with um, there's a campaign to try and ban sex robots that's mm. led by a professor, Catherine Richardson, if I remember right. Mm. And, and she talks a lot about how if we reduce sex to just transaction, i.e., mm. I switch a robot on, I fuck it, and then mm. switch it off, and then I carry mm. on and make my dinner. Mm. That's not sex. That's that's a transaction, whereas, yeah. whereas sex is two people and mm. there's a consensual thing going on that's in the moment and both people are party to it. Yeah. And 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 in a way, by extension, every time you meet someone, you're having a consensual relationship. It's obviously not sex, but mm. but mm. part of your growth as a person is your understanding and. You know, nobody ever has a fond memory of getting a receipt at the Walmart, you know, when they do the shopping. <laughs> but plenty of people have memories of, of seeing a band and being stood with that girlfriend that you loved when you were 15. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And, and, all, mm. and, and every, all the colours and shapes that you see through that is the human experience, whereas... Right, 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 definitely. The human experience, I like that, yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Okay, it's okay. No, I was, I was, I was just, I was just thinking as I was talking. So there was no, uh, there was no, <laughs> no mean, no end to that speech. I could have gone for a while. So with, with the shooting of the film, it's it's yeah. a beautiful looking film, and we have two extremes. We have we obviously have the intimacy and the and the claustrophobia of his apartment, and then it, when when push comes to shove, we then go venture out into the outside world and try mm -hmm. to solve all our problems. So those two extremes of environments. What was your conversation like with your cinematographer about what you wanted to achieve with the look and feel of a young man with high potential? Yeah, um, the the cinematographer and I would also put the um, art director or um, um, what's it called, um, scenograph. Um, what do you call it? What do you tell these guys? A production designer. The production yeah. designer in the mix, because um, he played a big role in creating um, this world. Well, the film was. We shot it in 20 days and most of it was in a studio. So the studio basically was the film. And um, if you recognized all the rooms in the uh, film are actually in the same room, shot in the, sh in the same room because it's the same um, apartment. There's, um, it's his apartment, it's her apartment, and it's another, like his friend's apartment. Okay. And we all did it in the same studio set because we wanted it to be a, you know, basically just just like an, um, a customized uh iPod, you know, yeah, <laughs> these, yeah, these, yeah, yeah. these rooms are all the same. And so we only had to find a hallway and we had this um, studio set and we wanted it to be as neutral and 
slick by today's standards as possible. So everything is very grayish and um, it's an elite campus. So it doesn't have a lot of history. It's very, it's a new building. Um, and I, the idea for me was like basically make it look like a, like a grayish, um, com like, like a computer store or something itself, just like very limited. Mm. Um, and, um, so the, so the whole, um, world in the university uh, for me is, um, it's a reflection on, on, on how our living standards or how we like what is what do we consider um, a nice apartment nowadays? And um, I think it's getting more and more unpersonal. And uh, when you look at like Berlin or London um, real estate ads and what, what kind of apartments they are selling, they all look alike in all cities of the world. Um, they are very, you know, like a lot of light, very bright, very, um, you know, like a little bit of Bauhaus inspired architecture. And then. Mm -hmm. With a view or not, and and um, and so I, I I wanted to have a this this thing doesn't exist as a um, student's apartment, so they it's um, it's way too big for that. But I thought like you know on an elite campus something like that would work, and it would be big enough and um, have everything that he needs for him to be a perfect you know personal space where really, a territorial bubble in, mm. in a way um so yeah we built that um and that was already the biggest um you know the biggest factor in the production budget um and when we thought about when he leaves his apartment and and the university for the first time because there's his apartment and then there's the um you know the rest of the university which still kind of works as an enhancement of himself um, but then when he, when he has to get out and leave the campus, um, we changed the, um, we changed the style a little bit because, um, whenever he walks on his feet outdoor, it's, um, it's usually a handheld, uh, camera okay. and uh, it's, it's not often actually it's, it's, we often, well, then we sometimes we switched back to, to a tripod to give it a, a full, like a, and what do you call these, um, like a white shot because oh. there are no, no, almost no white shots in the film except for the exterior um, shots so that to, to say that there's a different world just outside his door that he doesn't use or that he doesn't know um, although it's so close and so we had these white shots and handheld shots and also he changes his clothes he always has to, always uses like the same kind of clothes but then when he goes outside he wears a different uh, outfit and um, already in that you can see that he is going through a new adventure in a way although it's just the way from his university to the post uh, the station, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's nothing, but um, for him, it's a big deal. And then they're going through the forest, which seems like, you know, a, a minefield to him or a complete alien planet. Uh, Cause he usually never goes to the forest. So, and this is all handheld by the way as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's very simple um, ideas behind it because we didn't have a lot of money. The film was super low budget. And um, of course we thought like, what, what can be the most, um, effective way um, to 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 um, tell this change um, in his world and the outside world, and um, how can we get them together? Uh, yeah, and it was it, it was easy uh, to prepare it because there are so like only so few elements in the film. It's very very limited. You know, just a couple of characters and, um, and sets. So we try to make it as easy as possible, and also we went to a more or less conventional uh, camera concept because I didn't want to, you know, make the film too arty, artsy or yeah. um, because um, of course it would, it might also be interesting to have a 
um, a concept that um, would be a little more appealing to festivals because we have the we, we even have the feeling that the, the film looks too consumable. Um, people watch the film like any other film, and I this is what I wanted because I didn't want it to be you know like an art house film. Um, this this excludes a part of the audience that I want. Um, oh. I don't know what you call them in English. I would probably call them like regular people or something. No, because, no, no. Well, you, yeah, you don't, yeah, you're not trying to be um, too too arch in your pursuit of sort of some cinematic thing. You want people to be able to recognize it's a movie. Yeah, a it's a re- it's a, like almost like a regular movie, like like mm. any other movie. It, it should start like a like a decent, but um, but you know, like like um, like a film that anybody would 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 watch at least for the first forty five minutes. You know, it's like mm. there's no reason not to watch it. It doesn't get on your nerve with like super intense sound design or um, like a super artistic camera concept that uh, overcharges the audience. No, no, it's a film that is easy to watch actually until it becomes not so easy to watch anymore. Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I just want I just want to go back a bit there. You were talking about the, the idea of the characters in the in the in the film and the idea of sort of living in anonymous spaces whereby there's no personalization. I, yes. think, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good observation uh, uh, that that you were making and, and 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 putting forward in your film, because these this this is a generation now, isn't it, that 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 don't collect stuff, you know, physical, mm. you, know, you know, when I when I was at university, my bloody records went everywhere I went, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and posters went on, you know, your blue tap posters on the walls and stuff, and you made a right mess. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, yeah. But it appears that that kind of, I mean, there's a, again, I don't wish to keep referring to albums, but there's a fall album called uh, yeah. Your Future, Our Clutter. And it appears, <laughs> it appears that the, the millennial generation are rejecting my clutter completely. It's not their future at all. Um, they, they, I mean, I remember going to a music shop like HMV in, mm. in, with my nephew, who's like 14. And he didn't take any interest in flicking through the DVDs, the CDs or anything. It was like he was, he was in a neutral space. It didn't mean anything to him because mm. because he just gets it downloaded on his phone and he downloads it on the telly. That's the way yeah, he consumes this media. Is, there is an um, I could I can actually talk about this topic for a long time because I had a mentor in film school and his his name is Roland Klick. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's no, a no. German, German director. He did most of his stuff in the sixties and seventies. Okay. Um, I think his most famous film internationally is probably either Deadlock or Supermarket. Okay. And um, he gave a seminar at our film school uh, in Berlin, and um, he basically described the exact same phenomenon that you just described. Um, he said like, okay, um, the material um, that could mean anything from books to DVDs to furniture or buildings um, is losing its, um, what was the precise word? Humanitism is magic, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like there's, um, because right now, as I said, with the iPhone or whatever, you, you buy a new iPhone, you you download your backup, and it's the same phone you had before, just a newer version. And it's just like this gives us the impression that nothing has um, a soul. Um, everything is just, you know, um, replaceable. And he um, said it's it's an illusion um, because we 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 just forgot how to see the fantastic element in the material. And mm. I like that a lot because he's um, completely different than I'm. He's, he, he's all into all kind of esoteric, <laughs> you know, <laughs> propaganda almost. But 
he could sell it to me very well. He also he had a book by this um, Japanese guy called Imoto who freezes water and then observes the crystals. Right. And who has this um, idea that the water is actually communicating with us through the crystals. Have you heard about that? No. <laughs> well, it's it's easy um, that it's a hoax, but but we looked at these pictures. Holland Click bought us these pictures, and he said, like, look at these pictures. This is water from the Tokyo River. Look how little crystals there are, and they have no shape. And then he said, like, when you um, the same water, when you um, sing to it, then it slowly starts to develop new crystals. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah, well, it goes on. It goes on. He said, like, um, also, like, the water from the mountains, you know, from the original source, this has beautiful crystals, but then it loses the crystals when it goes, passes by the, the cities because the cities makes, makes it sad in a way. And then says, when you, and then he, it goes to an absurd degree. He says, like, when you put the happy water, so to speak, in a bottle and you write shit on the bottle and then you freeze it again, it has lost all the crystals. Because the water was offended in a way, and we were all, we were all looking at this guy with like you know like all cynical film students we you know who've seen the world and uh, want to make their films and um, you cannot uh, teach them anything anymore, and we all looked at this uh, guy and um, then he said what do you think about that guys, and and then somebody said yeah Roland it's kind of cute but don't you think it's a hoax, and Roland said it doesn't matter if it's a hoax. Because the cool thing about it is that this guy Emoto obviously has the ability to see the fantastic, you know, to see the to see the miracle, the the magic in the material, and something so simple and and uh, everyday life uh, element like water, and uh, and then it made you know it, it really clicked in my head. I said like this guy is, uh, has just gave me a beautiful idea how to approach everything, um, not because I believe in it, just because. It is, yeah, it's a great way to look at things, and it helps you as an artist. He said, "I'm sorry, I can go on forever, Stuart." But no, 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 keep going. You're right. This is fascinating. Go on. He said, um, "Well, you you guys are artists and storytellers. You shouldn't be cynics. Um, you should be able to see the fantastic and then give something from from it back to the audience. Because who gives a fuck about a film that is sterile or um, you know or or um, a cynic?" It's not interesting. Nobody wants to see it. And so I, I think he's right. And when you look at his films, you see that he, his films don't, they are not balloony. They are not um, esoteric or anything. His films are actually pretty uh, down to earth um, crime stories, post apocalyptic films. And it's, but, but yeah, but there is a sense of in every picture, he's looking for something that you, definitely wants to show you know look at this look at this face look at this building back there look at this landscape and yeah we i think it is important that we uh keep that as as artists you know i was going to say i mean that sounds like a really a really interesting way of looking at the idea of i think lots of artists have talked about um trying to keep in touch with the inner child you know because the child yeah, yeah. The, chi the inner child is is the least cynical part of us you know we I mean, Christ, there's even there's a Pulitzer Prize winning book that was that was written in the um, in the seventies called uh, the Den Have you ever heard of a book called The Denial of Death? Uh, by title, would no, never never read it. Okay, so so that that book basically the hypothesis of that book is is that if we can stop denying we're going to die, we can live. Mm, and it, and mm, basically, mm. it says that when we're like one to ten years old, we're fearless and we're not aware of our mortality. And there's like something happens from the age of ten. We become increasingly mm. aware that we're going to die, mm. so that by the time we reach adulthood, we're just constantly living because in fear of death. And he's, yeah. his his hypothesis is: if you can just accept you're going to die, you can then get on with living because dying is something that's going to happen anyway. 
So why, yeah, why, why worry about it? You could, you could obviously get hit by a bus or you could live to 95. Neither right. of them are in your control. Yeah, so yeah, that's true. To worry true. about when it happens is, is to not live. Is his mm. is his that's true. It's it's the, the fountain is basically about that same uh, idea. The Aronofsky film, I think, is, is at least how I understand it. Because at the end, he understands, hey, I will die, and it's good, and you know, now I can start. <laughs> basically, at least now yeah. that you talk about and, it, this and is when, what I think. And, about, when, yeah. and, when you, and the child is is in sort of artistic terms, is that part of your subconscious that's not judgmental, isn't it? You know, yeah, the, the adult in you, which is the critic, you go, what about if? And then your, your cynical, your, your, your conscious brain goes, shut up. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Nobody will be interested in that. And, you, you, and, and obviously the, the better ideas will beat the conscious mind out of the picture and you'll carry on with your flight of fancy. So uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I buy all that. It's true. It's true. Actually, I, I probably just screwed up my, my own son's artistic life because he's, he's talking about death all the time. <laughs> so yeah, I, this was probably premature of me too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, the other, the other thing, the interesting thing to say is obviously you're a German filmmaker and you've made a English language film, but with, yeah. with, with people who, de who all have accents and therefore would speak another language if it wasn't English. Um, yeah, that's true. For the purposes true. of your film, they all speak English. Now, it is, it, uh, do you want to talk about the decision to go down that road? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, it's um, the same argument, basically. I took it off the real world because the way we connect in Europe um, with like all my, all my European friends, and I have a lot of friends from Belgium and Denmark and uh, France and Italy, and of course, we all speak English uh, among each other because that's the language we both, we all learn in school. And it's also the language of the internet. Um, so for me, it was consequent that this takes place I didn't want to, didn't want it to take place in a specific country. This place, this takes place in some European city somewhere in Europe. Yeah. There's only one indication on where it is, and it's a European Union flag at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, all the characters, of course, as you said, they have accent, they have backgrounds. It's not always so easy to tell what their backgrounds are. Mm. And some, some have stronger accents, some don't. Some, some are mother tongue English. Um, but just, you know, like the delivery boy. For example, he's Canadian. Hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think this is the reality we are already, it, it has already started to become our reality in a way. Like when you walk in, when you walk down the street in Berlin, you have people talking in different language, but most of them in English and a lot of them with accents. Um, and so I think I actually, I like it a lot. Uh, but also it's a symbol for, um, the loss of national identity. And because uh, I think, you know, in, in the, the, this country that I described could be Europe everywhere and um, and and it has no features anymore. Basically, it, it goes well with what Roland Klick says, you know, imagine a world where we don't see the fantastic in our own history anymore. Then all cities would look alike. You know, we don't we wouldn't give a damn what old buildings. We just tear them apart and build new buildings and they would all start to look alike. And um, and this this is basically the, the world I, I, I describe here. Um, I don't even see it that critical. It's just, I think it's, um, it's interesting because I, I, um, embrace the idea of, of Europe as one and, uh, and that these, like this generation in the film, their children might not even speak uh, the, you know, respect, uh, respective, um, language of the characters, um, grandparents, you know, like they, they might only speak English because it's, it's easier convenience again, you know, it's a convenient language. 
Um, yeah, you know. and I, I've seen, I mean, my friend of mine has lived in Holland for like nearly 20 years. Mm. And the, 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 obviously Dutch people speak Dutch with each other, but, but you know, the minute I turn up, if I'm visiting, then, then there's no, there's no, there's nothing for me to, there's, there's no barrier to me at all because they all speak wonderful English. Mm. Uh, they've all, they've all consumed sort of lots of English language TV and films yeah. thanks to America's uh, mighty machine. Um, but it's, but it's not, it's not done where it feels like a threat. And I'd be interested to, I mean, it's interesting because loss of something would suggest it be missed and things, but, but also I'd be, does it, does it ever fit that like the internet being such a, cause it's an American, you know, very much um, driven from an, a kind of American, American, um, point of view with the likes of Google, Amazon, YouTube and all mm, that. Mm. Um, does, do, have sort of, has there been like a G German offshoots, which are kind of German pockets of the internet, which don't, that I wouldn't know about as someone that doesn't speak German? Nobody used Facebook a couple of years ago in Germany. It was like 10, 15 years ago. Facebook was a phenomenon that started a little later here than in the rest of uh, Europe. Before that, we had a thing called um, Studiverzeichnet, which means, um, which basically is um, like a catalog um, where all the students are listed. Right. And um, and then they then they like made another one called Meinverzeichnet. So like my own, um, <laughs> what do you call it? Like a roller deck or something where you, yeah. and, um, uh, and this was very popular, but then, you know, this was this only worked in Germany because it was in German, mm. and um, and then they tried to expand it, but they did they did it like kind of half-assed. So when face when when people traveled started to travel more in my generation, um, then everybody asked, "Hey, why are you not on Facebook?" And so Facebook took over the social media uh, market pretty quickly in Germany, and I don't think that there are many. Uh, many, many German, but I, you know, and then again, it's not my, um, it's, it's not my, uh, um, my field of work. You know, I don't know if I ask my good friend who's in informatics, he probably could, could give me more examples, but none that are. Well, no, but I think, I think you're, relevant. I think you're, I'm going to say, but I think your view of the kind of superficial world of, of what people do day to day in Germany is, is a view that YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat do dominate the landscape. There isn't a specific. There is no longer sort of obvious German only stuff, which is which no. is you know it's it's just it's an interesting. I mean, because of the language, the, the the sort of change isn't so different here. But but you know, before Facebook, there was a thing called Friends Reunited, which was a a, a British mm. invention, and it was this idea that you would obviously want to see people you went to school with, and you'd put your name up, and then you'd connect with people hence the mm, title mm. and it died on its ass once um once facebook came along because they were trying to charge and make a service out of it <laughs> yeah 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 this, we had a couple of those too but they were too small to mention yeah. but i mean this I, I have to say i don't demonize any of um of those social media platforms or youtube or anything i actually i think they are wonderful tools and this is a very exciting time we're living in it's just that it that it caters to um you know some um, needs that. Well, this I make I make it a too, too complicated the sentence. Um, well, it's just that these are also perfect tools for people like Pete in my film mm. um, and, and to to make their small world 
um, theoretically a little bigger and give them the illusion that they actually have a life outside their cage, but they don't. And um, this is what I see critical about it, that it is um, – we are still, you know, we are still pioneers. I mean, the internet has been around for 30, 40 years uh, since mm -hmm. it started in the, you know, like very, very early test phase. Yeah. Um, but, um, but still, we are, we are still pioneering. Also, like, what is an, a generation like the, the digital natives that grow up now? They are completely different uh, from anybody before, and I'm not even a part of that generation. Although I still feel very young. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm already starting to, to tell stories about. Uh, <laughs> about things that I don't even really know that great. You know, it's this, I think there's a lot of, um, a lot will change. And I, I wonder how a film like my film, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an optimist, you know, by default. So I think maybe in 20, 40 years, a film like, like A Young Man with High Potential will be kind of laughable because they're like, oh, really? This is this is how you idiots used it in the early days, you know? Mm. <laughs> because I think um, my, my, my guy, who my friend who is in... Um, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being called for lunch. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Um, my friend who, um, who's in the uh, informatics or in the IT um, uh, sector, he um he says he has he has interesting theories for example he says um cities will become less and less relevant uh, because what do cities offer except for maybe maybe the cultural or the historic uh, part well you don't need stores anymore you won't need that many offices anymore actually cities are crammed and the infrastructure is overcharged so why is it so great to live in a big city like london new york or even berlin and um he says like he he predicts that Smaller cities and medium-sized cities will have a huge comeback in the next 50 years because they are cheaper and, and more comfortable to live in, and the internet will provide all the infrastructure that you need. And um, and then he says, like, so um, if I go on vacation, I don't go to a city, I go to some beautiful countryside. And I like that because I always go to cities. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm I'm completely opposite. You know, it's like I want to be I want to know about the culture of of, of of a place. When I go to France, I want to go to Paris. Um, and he says, why would you go to Paris? Paris is a horrible city. And he thinks so completely different and so pragmatic. Like there again, we come back to the pragmatic part of it. It's like um, he's not intrigued by the beauty of the Eiffel Tower or anything. He says he only sees the you know, the, the, the less pragmatic things about it. It's more expensive, it's overbooked, you have to wait in line, all that shit. And I really wonder what the next generation is going to be like. You know, are they more going to be like that? Are, are they going to rediscover the analog world for themselves or not? I don't know, but I think it's it's very, very um, exciting times we're living in. And I wonder how this film will age in that, in that time. No, indeed, indeed. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me, Stu. I hope I didn't uh, stumble too much over my own words and sentences. This is what I always do. But it was a pleasure, and uh, I'm really looking forward to FrightFest. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. The music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.